Welcome to the Dive Podcast presented by Willamette Week. I'm your host, Hank Sanders. Join us every Saturday for a deep discussion about the biggest stories of the week. Go behind the scenes with journalists, political figures, and newsmakers to get a unique look at our city. And also, I want to hear from you, the listener. So please send any questions, critiques, or sponsorship inquiries to my email at hsanders at wweek.com. Thank you so much and enjoy this episode of the Dive Podcast. Welcome back to the Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Hank Sanders. It's great to have you with us today for episode 45 on November 6th of 2021. We are joined today by reporter Nigel Jaquis. He's here to tell us about his cover story for Willamette Week. It's a true crime story. So I love true crime stories. So it's going to be a very interesting discussion. By the way, you can always go ahead and read it. That way, this discussion will mean even more if you go and read, and then we can talk with the author. But even if you didn't, we'll go into the crime. We'll go into the suspects. We have a lot of, a lot to break down with Nigel today. But before we get there, we have to bring you all the headlines, everything that happened in our city this week. This is the 90 Second News Flash. Folks, last week we told you about how Senator Betsy Johnson has decided to leave the Democratic Party to run for governor of Oregon as an independent. Well, this decision has come at a cost for her as she has lost her position as the co-chair on the Senate Joint Ways and Means Committee. Senate President Peter Courtney uh, stripped her of her position. It is not clear exactly why she lost her position, but most speculate it's because of her plans to leave the party. Like we mentioned, she's no longer going to be a Democrat as she's running for this higher office. Staying on the topic of the run for governor, Willamette Week has been interviewing the candidates for governor each week. Uh, he's, they've been going through, and every week they've chosen a different person to interview. And this week they interviewed Casey Kula, who is a Yamhill County commissioner, and he talked about his aspirations for Oregon and many other topics, including other people running for governor like Nick Kristoff. So it's a really interesting discussion, so I recommend you go and read it to get a better sense of who is running for the highest office in our state. Back to Portland news, uh, Mayor Wheeler's $7.8 million public safety spending plan includes room for over 600 body cameras for officers. We've talked about this issue many times in the past several weeks, how our police officers don't have body cameras. They don't have to you know, have them on them. So this comes on the heels of one of the most dangerous times in Portland's history with almost 80 homicides happening in 2020 alone. And we're not, we're not all the way done with it. So that that is kind of the response to these increasing homicide rates that we're seeing in our city. You may have heard in the national news that the COVID vaccine has been greenlit for ages 5 to 11. Children of that age weren't able to get the regular vaccine. They had to do additional testing to make sure it was safe. It is safe. And Oregon has started getting our doses for children, but due to the logistical issues of getting the doses into arms, it may take a couple weeks before people can get the vaccines for their kids. Vaccination appointments are hard to come by, so if you have somebody who is in that age group that you're trying to get that vaccine for, it'll be a couple weeks. So that's, that's kind of what we're experiencing, and Willamette Week has written a great story about that topic. Lastly, if you are in the mood to eat something tasty this week, we have another recommendation for you. We try to bring you one restaurant every week to try, and this is going to be called 
Baun Kanan, and I'm sure I'm getting the pronunciation slightly wrong at least. So I'm going to spell it out for you real quick so that you know that it's the right spot. It is spelled B-A-O-N-K-A-I-N-A-N. It's supposed to be fantastic. It's Filipino food. I've never had a Filipino food. So I'm going to get a table, you get a table, and we will agree or disagree if it is up to snuff, up to the caliber that Willamette Week holds for our Portland restaurants. I'm sure it will be. And that's our stories. Those are our those are our big stories of the week. That's our restaurant. This has been the Nine Second News Flash. We turn now to our interview of the week. We are talking to reporter Nigel Jaquis, who brings us a local true crime story. A man named Joe Gilliam was poisoned on two separate occasions this year, leaving him in a vegetative state. He is really a shell of a person. He can't speak, can't eat. So a very sad story, but also fascinating in the way that this poisoning took place. And we talk about the suspects, what was used to poison Joe, and a lot of other issues revolving around this topic. It's a fascinating story. With no further ado, here is the interview. Okay, Nigel, let's start with this. Can you give us a quick explanation of who is Joe Gilliam? For 21 years, uh, Joe Gilliam served as the president of the Northwest Grocers Association. That uh, He built that to include Washington and Idaho, as well as Oregon. And he represented their interests in the legislatures in all three states. And they have you know, as members, uh, Kroger, Albertson, Safeway, Costco, Whole Foods, all the big uh, grocery store chains, and they have a lot of interests. Uh, for instance, in Oregon, uh, Joe Gilliam was very instrumental in shaping the statewide minimum wage. Uh, it was going to be one wage across the state and implemented very quickly. Gilliam got involved and made it uh, a tiered system across the states, so stores in rural areas didn't have to pay Oregon, uh, Portland wages, and uh, it was phased in over a number of years. He, he was also very involved in uh, a statewide ballot measure, Measure 97 in 2016. That was by far the largest ballot measure in Oregon history in dollar terms, and his members were the biggest contributors to the no side. It was a very rare and very large defeat for Oregon's public employee unions who were trying to implement a new corporate uh, tax and Gilliam not only defeated that, but then when the tax came back in the legislature, his group was uh, mostly exempted from having to pay it thanks to his uh, influence with lawmakers. So he is a very, uh, very influential guy in Salem and in Olympia and in Boise, uh, even though many people wouldn't recognize his name. Okay, so we'll get into the crime against him, the crimes uh, in a second, but I want to just read this one excerpt from the article and have you explain it to us. Uh, Gilliam wants to, or wanted to at the time before the crime took place, quote, pry open Oregon's tightly controlled market for alcoholic beverages. What did this mean? What does this look like? So he wanted uh, a couple of things. He wanted his grocery store members to be able to sell hard liquor like whiskey, gin, vodka on their shelves with a few very small exceptions. Uh, all hard liquor that is sold by retailers in Oregon is sold through state franchised uh, OLCC liquor stores. Uh, that's different from many states. The second thing is that uh, Oregon has is what's known as a control state. Since prohibition ended in the 1930s, the state has controlled every aspect of alcohol uh, distribution and sales. So the second part that really impacts his members is that the distribution of wine and beer 
uh, is done through a tightly controlled system that gives the distributors uh, a very uh, uh, strong and lucrative hold on the, the distribution of, of wine and beer. And uh, his ballot measures would seek not only to allow his members to sell liquor, but would seek to erode the strength of the distributors. And, you know, in, in both cases, his members, the grocery stores would benefit they have pushed this uh, three, this will be the third time in the past decade the grocers have tried to do this. They were successful in Washington state, which had a very similar system to Oregon's in 2011. Two subsequent tries in Oregon failed to make the ballot. Uh, I think it's highly likely that we'll see this on the ballot in 2022. So in June and November on two different occasions, uh, Joe Gilliam got very sick, and it was tied back to a poisoning of a thing called thallium. What is thallium, and why did they think that it was thallium that was behind this uh, illness? So thallium is a is a uh, heavy metal. It's uh, it's toxic. Um, it is found in combination with other metals and has been used uh, historically to kill rats. Uh, it's so potent uh, that the U.S. Uh, actually outlawed the use of thallium as a rodenticide in the mid-70s So, uh, it, because there were too many people who were getting accidentally poisoned. So it hasn't been available here for 50 years. And uh, so somebody acquired uh, thallium uh, from overseas. We don't know who, we don't know how. And they poisoned Gilliam first in, in May of 2020. And then in November of 2020, and, and what happened was he got very, very sick uh, in May and early June of 2020. He went to a couple of Portland area hospitals. Uh, they did all kinds of tests. They kept him in for about 10 days. Uh, he left. He was in tremendous pain. His uh, gastrointestinal system wasn't working. Hands and feet are in extraordinary pain, so he couldn't walk. He left the hospital in a wheelchair with a diagnosis of uh, Guillaume-Barré syndrome, uh, Guillaume syndrome, excuse me, which is a rare disorder where the body's immune system attacks the nervous system. It turns out that that diagnosis was wrong. Uh, over the course of the summer of 2020, when we were all locked down with COVID, he gradually got better. He had lost 40 or 50 pounds, but by November, he got to a place where he could walk a mile or two a day. He could play a little golf. He went down to his home in Arizona, his second home in Arizona, and uh, fell very ill again, even more ill this time. And uh, he came back to Oregon, but wasn't getting any better. So he, he decided to seek a second opinion uh, at the Mayo Clinic Hospital in Scottsdale, Arizona, near his vacation home. And they there uh, finally diagnosed him with thallium poisoning. Uh, it, it happens, thallium poisoning is so rare in this country that, that the head of poison control at Oregon Health and Science University told me that no doctor would ever look for it normally. It's just not something that people ever see. So it wasn't as if the Oregon hospitals screwed up by not finding it necessarily. It's just that it is extremely rare. Unfortunately, by the time this diagnosis was given, Gilliam had fallen into a coma. He, prior to falling into a coma, his eyesight had begun to fail. He was delirious. He couldn't move, uh, and so he went into intensive care, was put on a ventilator, put on a feeding tube, stayed in the Mayo Clinic Hospital in Arizona for a couple of months, and uh, they couldn't do anything more for him. They, they gave him a drug called Prussian Blue to reduce his thallium levels, but there was nothing they could do. So he was life-flighted back to Oregon in January of this year. 
and he has been in a vegetative state uh, in a care facility uh, ever since. You know, so like you've explained, and thank you for for going over that with me. But like you've explained in the article, the police have main uh, two main suspects. So the police have these two main suspects. One of them is Ronald Smith, and one of them is his son Joey Gilliam. And Joey Gilliam is a suspect, like you said, based on some life insurance stuff and some previous criminal behavior. Uh, the other guy, Ron Smith, also has some previous criminal behavior and some dispute with uh, with Joe Gilliam. Of the two suspects, who do you think is more likely to be behind this? Well, I, I, I really can't say. Uh, uh, it, it's. Um, I, I think that when I look at uh, the two, what, what we see in police records uh, is that Ron Smith did have a prior record of uh, committing some fairly bizarre crimes against an estranged wife in Colorado a decade ago. And that he and Joe Gilliam had a financial dispute and a, and a real falling out uh, over a loan uh, uh, in the early part of 2020. So uh, longtime friends, but but became sort of uh, not enemies, but their friendship was severely uh, shaken by this dispute over money. Uh, Joe Gilliam does have a prior criminal record, but I am... I, nobody can rule anybody out. And even Joey Gilliam says nobody can rule anybody out. But Joey Gilliam wasn't seemingly present uh, when uh, his father was poisoned. The, the, the crimes appear to have occurred in Arizona when he was not, when Joey was not in Arizona. And Joey uh, is a beneficiary of his father's life insurance. And he also had power of attorney over his father's uh, sort of uh, do not resuscitate order. So he could have at any time, uh, told medical uh, officials, hey, my dad didn't want to be kept alive on life support, so please go ahead and turn the life support off. He, he would have been benefited financially from saying that, and he never said that. In fact, he said the opposite. He overrode his father's do not resuscitate order to keep him on life support. So I'm not sure that I see the motive for Joey Gillian, but there's so much we don't know. And I, I don't want to say I don't know who did it. And I don't want anybody to think that I do. When you were writing this article, you portrayed him, him being uh, Gilliam, Mr. Gilliam, as being somebody who had some political enemies throughout his career. And you talk about his ballot measures and political work. Obviously, there's enemies and there's people who may not agree with him on some of the things that he's trying to push in his position. Were you at all surprised that the police, their two and only suspects that you outlawed, uh, outlined, were personal suspects, that they had the personal connection? Do you think that there's a shot that that maybe the police should be looking at somebody who is maybe more of a political or work adversary uh, who's behind this? Well, I, I think they've, they haven't ruled anybody or anything out. The police aren't talking to me. They are talking to some people whom I've interviewed. Um, I think the thing to understand about thallium, it's called the poisoner's poison because it's odorless, it is uh, colorless, and it can be easily dissolved in a drink. And so the working theory of the police is that somebody had to be in close proximity to him to poison him with thallium. And so, and they seem to have isolated it to uh, his girlfriend, Christina Marini, uh, Ron Smith, whom we've discussed, and another friend of his named Tim Mooney, who were with him on both occasions. So, uh, again, we can't rule anything out. It could have been anybody. But it doesn't seem to be 
likely that it was uh, anybody that he had crossed in the political realm. And he, he was, Joe Gilliam was a hard charging guy. He was not the classic low key Oregonian. He, he advocated very aggressively for his members' interests. And so he, he definitely made enemies in Salem and in the other capitals in the Northwest. And he, he, you know, he was a hardball player. Um, so anything is possible. Uh, I don't, uh, I don't have any information about whether it might've been, uh, somebody who was outside of his personal circle though. What surprised you most about, about writing this story, about researching the story as well? Well, when people read the story, uh, which I hope they will, they'll see that the tragedy that has occurred or the crime that has occurred, uh, leaving uh, a very vigorous, healthy, uh, 59-year-old man, uh, a shell, uh, immobile, unable to speak or feed himself or communicate. Uh, that's a tragedy. Uh, but this family was was touched by many others. His older brother, Vic, was a state representative in the Oregon House, had to resign after 10 years because he came down with ALS, also called Lou Gehrig's disease, and he died uh, right after Joe was poisoned the first time. Their younger brother, Stephen, uh, there are three Gilliam boys, uh, died of a drug overdose uh, uh, a month before Joe was poisoned the first time. So Joe saw both of his brothers die in, in a couple of month period last year. And then his father died last year. And there are uh, levels of intergenerational conflict and financial malfeasance that I describe in the story. And I, I, I thought I was shocked Frankly, when I heard he had been poisoned once, I was doubly shocked to hear he'd been poisoned twice. And then to learn of all the other associated trauma that came with the, un, you know, the untimely deaths of his two brothers with whom he was very close, uh, the, the difficult relationship he had with his father, which also has a financial element. Uh, I, it was just a series to me of extraordinary uh, circumstances and unusual events. Uh, all tied around this central mystery of who tried to kill Joe Gilly. Trying to climb out of this hole, but the walls are caving in. Back myself into a corner, feels like I can't win. It's so hard to get out, but so easy falling in. I gotta find myself, but I don't know where to begin. Losing pieces of my mind, my thoughts are painted gray. Trying to patch up the holes before this dam gives way What can I say? Well, folks, that's our show. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Dive. We'll see you next week. Till then, take care, stay safe, keep reading. For Willamette Week, I'm Hank Sanders. See you on 46. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Dive Podcast, presented by Willamette Week. For more information on this podcast or the biggest stories in Portland, go to wweek.com and follow Willamette Week on all socials. We're doing some really cool things related to the podcast on our Instagram and Twitter. It includes giveaways, behind the scenes, etc. A lot of cool things coming your way, so give those a follow. Special thanks to our guests for joining us, and thank you to Aaron Mesh, Mark Zussman, and Brian Panganibon, as well as the entire Willamette 
a week family. Last but not least, thank you so much to Heather Witty and AmpMusic.co for the music that you hear on this podcast. For Willamette Week, I'm Hank Sanders. This has been The Dive Podcast. Podcast.